Welcome back, everyone, to episode 50 of the Anagram Journey podcast. My mom, Suzanne Stabile, and I sat down to record a series of questions and answers uh, episodes. And one of the topics that comes in the most is on orientation to time. So if I were to title this podcast, I would say orientation to time in relationship to stances, relationships, and parenting. She does a phenomenal job, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Also, the plug for this week is that boot camp registration is now open. The 2019 Anagram Boot Camp, Stress, Security, and the Speed of Life. So it's going to be in Dallas, Texas, August 1st through the 4th. So grab your friends, hop on to lifeinthetrinityministry.com, and register during Lent and save $100 on registration. Uh, it's four days of really intense, wonderful learning. Hope that we see you there. Okay, I'm really excited about this episode. I even, so I was talking with Laura when the questions were coming in. I was like, all right, here's the number one question that people ask. That isn't, uh, how do I figure out my number, this, that. is about orientation to time. And so many questions around orientation to time that I feel like you were about to give a free workshop on such a great topic that's going to be so helpful. So the topic for today's podcast is orientation to time in relationship to stances. So you have a, a two-day stances workshop that you do. You have a three-day stances workshop that you do. We have the stances broken down into it individual mp3s for people to purchase however this is going to be different than all that this is not stances however the topic of orientation to time is going to be tied to stances in our conversation today okay great so if i'm going to do a workshop uh about this then i have eight hours right right and so we're going (laughs) to divide that and break it down into 45 minutes okay i'll see what i can do in 45 minutes okay let's um let me say first, I think orientation of time is real important and not very many people talk about it. And that's interesting to me because difference in orientation of time was a big problem for me parenting y'all when you were little. And it's a big problem. It, it's a disconnect. It's not a big problem. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's a disconnect. The problem is not realizing that that is that it's oriented that's it exactly it's a disconnect between dad and me still sometimes when we're trying to figure out what we're going to do or what kind of decision to make so disconnect between whitney and I. yeah is it yeah sure and it's and like we said and it's tied to that stance yes so yeah all right so i'll start with stances we'll do a little quick overview of stances so um let's start first of all with the reality that stances are determined by which of the three centers of intelligence is repressed, thinking, feeling, or doing. And for ones, twos, and sixes, thinking is repressed. For threes, sevens, and eights, feeling is repressed. And for fours, fives, and nines, doing is repressed. And let me just, let's just get this out of the way, because this will save you future mail. I know that you don't like that, And that you're probably not going to agree with it. So I'm going to give you an extra little piece so you can. You the listener. You the listener. Not you, Joel. Only one part applies to you, Joel. All right. You the listener. 
ones, twos, and sixes. We think all the time, and we're aware that we think all the time, and our minds are always going, but it's not productive thinking. So I want to walk you through that, and then don't push back right away. Just live with it for a little while and see if, if you don't find that this is true. Ones, you have a constant inner critic that has to be answered. It, it requires, it demands an answer. And you do all that silently because nobody else can hear your critic but you. So you're having this conversation in your head and your lips aren't moving, nothing else is happening, and you count it as thinking. Because you've been in your head all day arguing with the critic about whether or not you did a good job and whether or not you are good and whether or not things are okay. And with all of that going on in your head, then you're in a place where you believe that you've been thinking. You're tired from thinking. But that's not productive thinking. That's having an inner dialogue that I grant requires a lot of energy. Twos, if you watch yourself, you'll find out that you do spend a lot of quiet time thinking. And a high percentage, like I think 80% or more, of that thinking is about relationships. And you almost have to work to not think about relationships in order to think about what's yours to do. Think about what you're working on or what your job requires or what you need to do next. It's a very important thing to distinguish and learn to work with. Sixes, you spend lots of time managing your fear or your anxiety by wondering what the worst thing is that might happen and then making a plan for that. And when you do that, then you are certainly thinking, but it's not productive because most of what you think up and most of what you plan for doesn't happen. So you got to really, those three numbers, you have to really watch yourself and ask what you need to think about in a day and then go back at the end of the day and see if you were able to do that and how many times you were interrupted by either twos thinking about relationships, ones arguing with your voices, which I want you to shut those voices down, and sixes thinking about and planning for things that probably aren't going to happen. Okay, fours, fives, and nines. You are in the withdrawing stance, and you're doing repressed. And that means that you use thinking and feeling to kind of make your way in the world, but not doing. This one seems to be the most offensive. Um, the other two stances get a little bit whipped up, but when I start talking about you and you not doing, then y'all give me dirty looks when you're in the audience and you look down at your paper and you stop writing and you cross your arms. So I'm, I'm going to build a bridge here to you so that you can understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that you don't do anything. It's kind of like being thinking repressed. I'm saying that your doing isn't productive doing. You're doing, it's just not what needs to be done or it's not productive doing or it's um, doing that you start and stop or it's planning to do and counting that as doing. So let's walk through the three numbers. You know I'm married to the ever-lovely Reverend Joseph Stabile and I adore him and he's doing repressed and yet he's doing something all the time, all the time. 
He's a nine. He's a nine. And he has lists and he works from the lists, but it's like he works from the middle of the list or from the bottom of the list. And he tells me that for him, all these things that have to be done just have to be done. And he can't really look at it and know intuitively which thing to do first. So he has to get help with that. And if you're a nine, you should do that. You do all the time and frequently. You don't do things in the appropriate order, and the thing that had to be done today doesn't get done, or it gets done at the last minute, and you're often not satisfied with it. Fives, because you have a measured amount of energy every day, and it's not enough, and it's particularly not enough in relationship to the pace of our culture. I get that you don't have enough time, but you don't get how much time you spend planning to do as opposed to doing something. And I know that you think you are reserving energy by making a plan before you do something, but you overplan, and then you overgather information about your plan, and then you look up things about the longevity and the likelihood of the success of your plan. And all of that is costing you too much energy that you don't have. So you're going to have to plan less and do more in order to count it as productive doing and in order to not feel like you're behind or not be frustrated with all that has to be done. Fours, I want to be respectful of you being doing repressed. And for you, it has everything to do with how you see. And I'm grateful for how you see. We all are, because you see in terms of texture and depth and warmth and what things can be and what things look like in the eyes of you as the author of an idea or a painting or a song and you as the beholder of your own work. But you're going to have to, have to commit to fewer things and then get on it and get those things done without changing. One of the things that costs you the most in terms of success and self-satisfaction is not finishing one thing before you start something else. And that's not the same as sevens just not finishing projects. This is about not finishing an internship, not finishing reading a book that's helpful, not finishing... Uh, training for a job that you might love if you finish the training, not finishing uh, music that you're writing or uh, a painting. You give up on yourself, and that really costs you in terms of productive doing. All right, feeling repressed. Three sevens and eights really struggle, too, when I tell them they're feeling repressed. Threes don't believe they are because they take in information with feelings. They just don't use feelings to process the information. Sevens, because they have a half range of feelings that they're very enamored with. They love the happy, positive, upbeat, optimistic half of a range of feelings. And because they have so many of those, it's hard for them to be mindful of and aware of the fact that there's a whole half range of emotions and feelings that they're just not paying attention to. 
And eights are either passionate about what they do or they don't do it. And so they think passion is a range of feelings and that they're having feelings about everything they do when in fact they have an emotional expression around everything they do and that emotional expression is passion. So a full range of feelings from all three of you is going to require a great deal of work. The same kind of hard work that I've talked about for the dependent stance and for the withdrawing stance, but I can't define it as easily for you because there are so many feelings and because you have so many ways of avoiding the ones that you don't like. So you're going to have to be as aggressive with yourself as you are with the world in terms of finding a place to meet us halfway by bringing your feelings to the table and finding a place and a space to learn to share them without converting feelings into something else. So eight, anger is right on top for you. It's easily accessible. I've taught you that before. And what you do is you convert most feelings, emotions into anger. And you're going to have to back off of that. Sevens, your deal is you reframe everything. So reframing a negative into a positive is the same as converting a negative into a positive. And threes, you have an unending ability to number one, hide every feeling you have and turn it into something else till the end of the day or till you find time to deal with it. And you have a, an instinctual almost ability to just not deal with feelings that you don't want to deal with. That's going to be an uphill climb for you. So as we move in to talking about orientation to time, I want you to think about the fact that your orientation to time is comforted in part by your stance. And I'm going to work with that as we go along, but in, in terms of your orientation of time being the future for three, sevens, and eights, it's comfortable for you that you keep to looking to the future where there aren't any feelings yet except anticipation and excitement and hopefulness. And fours, fives, and nines, it's comfortable for you to be kind of doing repressed in relationship to your orientation to time being the past because you don't have to do anything in the past. And ones, twos, and sixes, you're pretty comforted in real time in being in the dependent stance so your orientation to time is the immediate. And the reason you're comfortable in that space is because you don't have to carry with you what has already happened and you don't have to have a plan for where you're going. And all nine of you are going to find that what I just shared with you is the reason why you have to understand orientation to time. So let me set the table with one more piece, and that is, for the dependent stance, one, two, and six, your reference point is outside of yourself, and that's what helps you stop whatever you're doing and deal with whatever's right in front of you. But that also is what keeps you from what you need to be doing because you're dealing with whatever's right in front of you. If you're in the aggressive stance, threes, sevens, and eights, then your reference point is an unconscious drive to reshape people and situations. And you can do that in the future. 
because you can imagine how you're going to do it and imagine how great it's going to be when you get it done, but that doesn't mean it's going to really happen or that you can really pull it off. And fours, fives, and nines, in the withdrawing stance, your reference point is within yourself. And so you, you get away with uh, being doing repressed by referencing how you, you managed it okay in the past. You forget what you missed because you were doing repressed in the past. All right, I think the table's set for everybody. I think the, the line that I am hearing right now that I hear you say a lot, and I forget the original author of this, but is what you focus on determines what you miss. That's Brian McLaren. Okay, thank you. And my interpretation is that your orientation, like you just said, your orientation to time is where your focus is. And so I feel like that's where the disconnect is when we're focused on these other things, when I'm focused on the future and Whitney is focused on the present, then we miss each other completely. Exactly. And so that, I believe that that's people's question. That's where we're looking for some more teaching is then, you know, we can't do one to two, one to three, sure, one to four. No way. But maybe we can just do some more talking around that. And then also some tools on how, how, to, how to shift that focus, if you will. Okay, great. So um, let's just remind everybody again that I don't ever have the questions ahead of time. Right. Uh, because this analogy may limp, but I'm going to give it a try because it's what came to mind for me. You remember when y'all were kids and we used to all play Twister and you had to put one hand on a blue spot and one hand on a one foot on a red dot and all that. Mm -hmm. And it was impossible except for the little bitties, which is why it's a good game to play with little bitties. But it's very difficult to make your way with a group of people if you can't reach where they're standing if you can't leave where you're standing. So we've got to have more fluidity in our ability to manage, including all three orientations to time. David White says that maturity actually is being able to hold all three somehow in your consciousness and in your awareness and in your experience at the same time. And Joel, you know I've been working on that now for about two years, and I can't do it yet, but it did underline for me that I'm right, that this is really important, and we've got to keep trying to figure it out. And I think it's an, an untaught, unspoken to, hidden gift in the Enneagram that we at least are told where what dot we're standing on. Right, and I, and I think the big thing initially also, you say this about the centers of intelligence, that you know there's three, and we don't think about that until it's pointed out, and it's like, well, yeah, but then it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the same with orientation to time when I'm told you're oriented to the future. It's like, yes. Then part, then B is, other people are not. Yeah. And so when in the present moment I'm doing these things about the future. Your head is always in the future. Right. And 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 then because 
Of so we have this might be a good spot. Let me find the question real fast. Okay. Sorry. That's all uh, right. It was a it might have been a parenting. Well, it's a good thing. So let me say two things while you're looking for the question. One thing is, uh, thank you so much because I have never used Brian's quote to teach orientation at time, and that is super valuable. The second thing is, just now I heard myself say to you, that's where your head is. And that's also language that I've never used before. Mm -hmm. But that is where your head is. Your head is always in what's going to happen next. Mine's always in what's happening right now. And dad's, for example, is always in what we've already done. And if we just talked about that in terms of how to discipline you, how to talk to you as a child about behavior, it's a disconnect. Yeah, and there's a there's a big level when you put that together. Just being aware of that, I think, can make life so much easier. So, an example of this—that's the most generic, broad statement I think anyone can make. Besides that one, now, but my relationship with Carolyn, uh-huh. I shared this with you recently, as when we were talking about orientation to time. When we are at the Micah Center together working. So, for she, anybody who doesn't know, Carolyn is my oldest friend. She is 10 years older than I am, and we've been best friends since I was 18, and she's part of our family. So she's, she's there for everything and has been since I was 18. So that'll give you a place to put her in Joel's life. And when we talk and when she wants to share, she always shares with me. She's talking about stories from the past. when I was younger or in the past, and it's 100% of them. And when I'm sharing with her, it is 100% what I'm going to do with the kids uh, next weekend, what we're going to do for work uh, a month from now, this plan that I have for the podcast or the website. And I think without putting those together, the lower side of seven would be not good for our relationship and not, it would be dismissive of Carolyn and and other fours also. I don't. Do you think that presents itself conversationally sure. in fours and nines, like this example with Carolyn and fives? I absolutely think it does, and and I think it's the reason fours, fives, and nines tend to be quieter, almost like introverts, and they're not all introverts in conversation because their orientation is to talk about things that already happened. So one of the things that dad quotes the most to me is that St. Vincent, who was the founder of the order of priests that he belonged to, St. Vincent always talked about holy delay. So when I'm wanting to do something in the present moment, and when y'all as kids were wanting to do something in the future or in the present moment, dad has quoted holy delay to us all of our lives. And it's because it's a sweet spot for him. It, it just is a, a place that he undergirds where he's most comfortable, where he wants to stand, right? Mm-hmm. So it's harder for him to make decisions because his head is in the past. But it's harder for you and Joey the, uh, and the aggressive numbers. It's harder for y'all to recognize where you need to be apologetic or what you have missed along the way and what you wish you had paid attention to, right? Right. And I, okay, so 
we recently were in Austin and we had you had the parenting uh-huh. and the Enneagram discussion panel. And a big thing, a big piece that came from that was dad as a nine talking about using examples to manage his his anger. Right. Because uh, he's in the anger triad. So let me just talk about that a minute because that was brilliant and I've never heard that before. It was brilliant and I want you to talk I want to ask my question real fast so I okay. don't lose it though. That seems like past oriented also. It is. Because it's examples from the past. Exactly. Exactly. So what you said. So let me just talk about nines for a minute. One of the things nines do is somebody asked about talk style. Mm-hmm. And the answer was they give you so many examples that you can not stand it like you want to scream. Once they get started on something they feel strongly about, they give you example after example after example. And you have to say, that's good. What I do as a dependent stance person, and ones and sixes do it with me, is we process verbally about what is happening and about the immediacy around us. And in a very lighthearted but poignant moment, you said at the end of the parenting panel to all the people who were there, so that's what I grew up with. A thousand examples of what I got wrong and a thousand hours of verbal processing processing about what's happening right now. And literally on the way home, Dad and I both said, bless his heart. (laughs) Bless his heart. Because that is exactly what happened. And you were at, "Could, could I just go and do it different next time? And we were at, no, 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 because we remember when you were going to do it different and you didn't, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're trapped in those places. And there's not a better example of managing a circumstance with your orientation to time. That's right. So in my head, I've already done whatever it was that I was in trouble for. Let's move forward now. It is time for this to be over with. You are in the moment, processing it all in the moment, lots of processing, and he is recounting all the examples of how I've done this and what we've done in the past, what I did, what the consequence was before, and getting us up to present date. I'm telling you, I feel terrible about it. <laughs> I do. If, if, I had, if, if I had been mindful, I would have known, number one, that's really not fair, but number two, it's totally ineffective because I know you well enough now and then to know that you weren't listening to us anyway. You were thinking about what you were going to do next. <laughs> Listen, I can either physically be gone or mentally be gone. <laughs> At any given time. All right, what about other numbers? So that's, that handles each of the stances right there, and we've talked about fives and nines. I have another example, and it's a work example. For anybody, I guess everybody knows that Dad's a um, pastor. You know, a lot of senior pastors of large churches are either threes or sevens on the Enneagram, lots of them. And uh, there is a a notable seven who lots of our friends have served under. And they even had T-shirts that said, I survived being on staff under this pastor's name. And he was a seven. And the rule that came out of that from the opposite end, we were feeling sorry for you a minute ago, now we're going to feel sorry for people (laughs) who have to deal with you is that they finally came up on, on this one group who worked on his staff with, if he hasn't said it three times, we're not going to respond to it in any way. 
We're not going to make a plan for it. We're not going to start doing it. We're not going to do that because he's just out there in the future thinking, and he may not land on that. So we're not going to respond to it until we've heard it three times, and then we'll do something with it. And that's a that, too, is a really big thing. That's really big for other people in relationship to sevens. Right. That's also so big for, for me as a seven right. to understand and realize. So for, So at work here with LTM, for many, many reasons, I'm not a decision maker. Uh, and But we have different meetings and uh, where there's lots of planning. And, oh, man, the plans, I've got to contribute. But it's so great that it's not, because if it were me in that, I'd be like, I think we should do this, and let's go ahead and get the ball rolling. Having children has helped me a lot because I have less time to follow out my own dreams, if you will. Not when my kids hear this. I guess when they get older, you, yeah. you did not crush my dreams. <laughs> but my less time to follow my own ideas. Right. So when I have this great idea to do something, and I'm thinking it through ahead now, I can process whether or not I will actually have time to do this idea. Right. And then I'm big on not wasting the precious time that I do have. When you don't have those parameters. Right. So for me at home, it's the kids. Right. Uh, for me at work, it's my position. Right. When you don't have some sort of parameters. And I think you talk about how you say in a playful manner, and I'm always offended by it. And you're like, I, that you think sevens need a border collie. Right. This is the way I like to say that right. better. Right. Because it's not just keeping you going. Right. Yeah. It's preventing you from wasting your time. Oh, and here's the big key other people's time when you're uh, on staff with right. someone and they're just when you lead a bunch of people you just can't pop up with a new idea every 15 minutes and imagine the anagram numbers in that space who have now put time right that are just throwing up their hands right each time and then quitting i would imagine right so. and, and you know another thing that's very interesting is that i think what you just brought up is a, a lead-in for us to talk about how you balance how you find a way to pull out of your orientation a little bit and pay attention to somebody else's. Which is the goal That's with all of it. Absolutely. Balance, 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 balance. So a number of years ago, when you very first started working for LTM uh, at a very different time in your life, we were driving home from Louisiana. And you remember there was a, the highway was closed and we could not get home. We couldn't get here. We drove and drove and drove. And you were dreaming of someday when you were going to have a motorcycle. And Dream's you still alive. Well, you're over my dead body, but that's not the point. From, not just from Shreveport to Dallas on any given day, but from Shreveport to Dallas at a time when the highway was closed, you filled the time with details about what you were going to wear and what your helmet was going to look like and what your motorcycle was going to look like and where you were going to take it and what you were going to do and how you were going to get there and how fast you were going to go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The last time we drove home from Louisiana was recently, and we talked about Joe and Whitney, and we talked about the children and mine and yours, <laughs> and we talked about things that had much more... Uh, immediate consequence and I'm sure by the time we got home you were tired from all of the talk about immediate 
context as I was from all of the talk about a future that I don't want you to ever have with a motorcycle <laughs> and that I have zero interest in. And, and so it's interesting to me to watch what we intuitively did based on where we are in life. And so I think we would be mindful, it would be important right now for me to say, that for those of you who are looking to have some greater understanding of what number on the Enneagram your children might be, it would suffice for you to know what their orientation to time is most of the time. Because if they can't get their chores done, it's because they're focused on what they're going to do next. And if they're afraid to go do something, it's because they're focused on how it went for them last time. And if they're not taking good care of themselves at school or other places, it's often because they're taking care of somebody else because they're ones, twos, or sixes. And just that is, is helpful. And it would be a helpful thing for us to say, that's already happened. We're right. We're here now, and that's not part of what we're doing. Or we might go to Disneyland next summer, but today we got to get our homework done. Mm-hmm. So if you grow that up, then you can see how for couples, planning would be a problem. Planning a vacation would be a problem. Financial planning would be a problem. Uh, weekly planning would be a problem if your orientation to time is different. One of the questions that came in that I think uh, orientation to time could play a part of, but it was big. Uh, this is a lesson that I'm constantly learning or having to learn. Uh, it comes from Harper. She says, my husband and I have a great marriage, but the issues and conflicts uh, that we do have never seem to make sense. And a big thing that you have been teaching me and dad and my wife (laughs) is it doesn't have to make sense Mm -hmm. and not everything does make sense. Right. Who knows what the the problems may be. Right. But clearly there's a disconnect. Right. And I'd be curious if that orientation to time is a part of the disconnect there. Sure. So let's just talk about the things within the context of the Enneagram that could be a disconnect. And then we'll talk about how to fix that, potentially. First of all, you could have a disconnect depending on whether or not you're feeling dominant, thinking dominant, or doing dominant. Secondly, you can have a disconnect depending on whether or not you're feeling repressed, thinking repressed, or doing repressed. Uh, Third, it matters if you're an introvert or an extrovert in your number. It doesn't determine your number, but it matters. And it matters how much energy you have. And numbers explain that. So eights have the most energy. Nines have the least energy. And fives are struggling with this measured amount of energy. And that, that is a disconnect. And some of us really do well being with other people. We're very social. Some of us are more comfortable in one-to-one relationships and we don't need many of them and some of us are are um, real committed to time alone and that's how we get our energy and that's how we know um, how we want to spend the weekend and things like that all of those are potential disconnects 
and orientation to time is a potential disconnect. And so when you think about all of those things, the only question you need to ask is, what is the disconnect and how do we bridge it? Not what's wrong with us. It's a miracle that we all get along with one another as well as we do. It's a miracle based on all the potential for disconnect in the complexity of how we're put together as human beings. Can you repeat those two questions? What is a disconnect and how do we bridge it? Yeah. For me, and I think for a lot of people, for me to ask those two questions instead of how I need to make sense of this argument. I need this. I need to understand what is happening here for us to move on. So another way of saying what is the disconnect would be to say, what is this really about? Because it's very seldom about what it's about. It's usually about a disconnect, and the disconnect usually has to do with how we see, which means the disconnect can usually be helped, to bridge it can be helped by knowing the Enneagram. I think that's why we get on airplanes and drive places and go stand up and teach and stay in hotels, right? We've been in so many hotels lately that the last one I was in, I got up to go to the bathroom during the night and literally walked into the wall because it was the way you walked in the hotel before. So I'm just saying, if I didn't really believe in all this in terms of relationships, I'd stay home. And so once you say, what's the disconnect or what is this really about? And then the next question is, how do we address that? How do we bridge that disconnect? How do we find one another is another way of saying that. Then, we've, then we're to a place where we've cut out hours of hurt feelings, lost time, frustration, bad behavior. It's, it's actually just not often very necessary, and yet we do it. So my question now, and I hate to keep using, you know, all I have to work with is as myself in these examples. So my question is, looking back on this now, I see in these stories of me as a child wanting to move forward and y'all not being in the same stances and same orientation to time, same stance as myself. Or each other. Correct. So now I see me as myself as a parent looking at, like it's saying, how are we going to, this needs to not happen again in the future and being pretty quick with it and uh, moving on. Should I be do should I be doing something different to open up to I don't have I don't know what their numbers are. We all have ideas, but I want to get it right. So how do I open it up to making a better uh, line of communication with them? That's effective. Yeah, yes. Yes. So let's think about the post that you put up recently of me talking about how um, some at a point with BJ, my worst parenting moment, um, I was trying to solve his problem with my feelings and the way I see. He's in the withdrawing stance. He is not helped by my feeling, my feelings and his. And now looking back, I don't even know if I was trying to make me feel better or him. Because as a two, I feel other people's feelings, and I struggle to feel my own, right? So, see, look at all the complexity that, that, that's right there for us to start with. So here's what I would say. I've heard you parent 
talking about. That's in the past. We're here now. But when you say that's in the past, then what you have to have in your head is you're in the past. Because you think the child is with you and their head is in the past, but they're where the past is. So you got to get them to real time first, and then you have to bring them to your space if they're in the withdrawing stance. Man, if you want, that's a great example of how I look, especially sweet little Jolie. When she knows she messed up and she's crying, and we've, and it's done. Yeah. And I'm saying, I'm like, hey, look at me. We are good. It's over. That is over. But it might not be over for her. Exactly. And more importantly than it might not be over for her is because of your way of seeing and being, you're trying to cut off her feelings because you don't like dealing with feelings. They're messy and they're inefficient and you don't like them. And she needs to learn to deal with those feelings. You're going to wish we'd never done this podcast. Man, it's just. <laughs> it's really, it's, I, I want to say this. It requires a lot of attention and a lot of intention, but it is not terribly complex. It's not as hard as it sounds. Right. That's what I think that I'm big on the bullet points. And so that's why I really like those two questions. But now I'm thinking to myself, because when you're in the moment, it's possible for everything to go out the window. Absolutely. And so I was literally just thinking to myself, all right, if I make a, a little note card cheat sheet for when that's the right. child is in trouble of just reminding myself this might not be over for them. They might still be sad about it. Me moving on could come off as dismissive or unloving, even though I'm trying to be the most loving sure. by saying I'm not mad at you. We're good. We, it is over. And that might not be received as loving. And that just blows my mind. Well, and, you know, at, looking back. so uh, You were trying to be the most loving you could be. I absolutely and was. It, can blow your mind. I absolutely was. And I, um, I had two withdrawing children and two aggressive children. And there I was. Someone just stay here in this with me. Please, could we just be in this <laughs> moment and process what's happening Dr. together? Dr. Hughes was getting a lot of work. He was. He got a lot of work during those years. He, he still gets a good bit. So if, if looking back, if I could go back, then here's the question I would ask myself. So here's another bullet point. Is this effective? And it wasn't effective to process verbally with you, and it wasn't effective for you to have 10 examples of what you'd done wrong. It's So I don't think you give up how you see the world. I think you have to incorporate that or you're teaching the child that everybody sees the way they see. So I think you have to have three examples from the past. I think you have to have a little bit of understanding of what's happening in the present moment. But then I think our healthy response would have been, here's what's going to happen to your future. <laughs> you are grounded for a reasonable amount of time, and then that's it. That's it. And clearly the same philosophy going into non-parenting relationships. Absolutely. That it's the before we go to non-parenting relationships, though, I do want to talk about speaking from the other two stances as a parent, since we're here. Right. Because I, I know I did this as a parent, and I regret this more than anything, but I think it would be real hard for people in the withdrawing stance, fours, fives, and nines, 
to not bring up the past when they're parenting. And that bringing up the past with people who are in the other two stances is potentially an ineffective weapon. Um, I do think consequences are important. And I think it's okay to tip your hat to the consequence from the past without bringing up the behavior from the past. And I think um, if you're an aggressive number parent, you have to make room for feelings. But I also think you have to tip your hat to times from the past when children did things better this time than that time and times in the present that affirm that they can take care of themselves and that they're really good and doing okay. Thank you. Sure. We just got the boot camp registration posted. Uh, and so I've been working on that, on getting that on the website at the same time as working on these questions and topic matter. And one of the questions I had for you was, oh, and the name of boot camp this year, by the way, 2019 Enneagram boot camp is stress, security, and the speed of life. And as we were preparing, I asked myself, I wonder if as uh, an aggressive number, independent number, 378, if we, if our orientation to time being the future is correlated to moving quickly. Okay. I, I've been thinking about this too since I've been preparing for boot camp. And... Um, I'm surprised by what I found, actually, which always, you know, gets me excited and whipped up. So l let's think about threes, sevens, and eights for a minute. Their orientation of time is the future, and we are culturally living in a time when things are moving way too fast, and we can't keep up. You all, threes, sevens, and eights, have a better chance of keeping up than the other two stances in terms of keeping up with pace and keeping up with accomplishing and keeping up with ticking things off of your to-do list. But I actually think this is double jeopardy for you. And I think it's double jeopardy because you're far more comfortable than other numbers with the fast pace. But by its very nature, it excuses for you not having feelings about things. It excuses for you not being in relationship to your feelings, and it excuses for you by its very nature not letting feelings determine how you're going to respond to life. So I, I started off thinking, oh, well, this is going to be just easy for threes, sevens, and eights. They're going to be all excited about this one. But in fact, I think, I think this can really get you, and you don't know what's happening. In terms of fours, fives, and nines, they're already struggling with the pace. And I don't think there's a four, five, or nine in the world who doesn't regret that they can't get enough done and they can't get it done fast enough and they wish they'd done it in a different order. I think they must feel behind the eight ball all the time in terms of to do, to do, to do, and how am I going to manage all of that. But I think the pace in the culture gives them an excuse to not get it done. And so it means that they do less and they check out more. And those are the exact two things that are problematic for them that they need to not give in to. 
for ones, twos, and sixes, um, I think it's a growth opportunity in a completely different way. And because our orientation of time is to the present, but we're also the dependent stance, which is, that means that we get our understanding of who we are from other people. So um, things are moving fast. We're present to what is happening right in front of us. But we also want to get stuff done because we want people to be proud of us and we want people to think we're good at what we do and we want the accolades that come with that. And while we want to deal with the person who's right in front of us, there's no time for us to look back and evaluate time and how it was spent and whether or not it accommodated what you know is my number one question every morning, and that is, what is mine to do? What is mine to do in life? Big question. What is mine to do today? The other question. And we could use that as an example because you easily can tell because we work together and you've lived with me your whole life that when I'm not doing what's mine to do, I'm distracted and I'm chatty and I'm not on point. And when I show up here and this is mine to do today, then I get stuff done. And I think uh, for the dependent stance, knowing what's yours to do and finding an appropriate pace for that so that you don't excuse not getting stuff done because you were being nice to somebody or because you were taking care of somebody or because you stopped to help somebody. You know, one of the things that I am so aware of because I work with you and Laura and you're both aggressive numbers is that I unintentionally keep people from doing what is theirs to do by building relationships with people I'm never going to see again. It's totally self-serving. And I used to think it was so generous of me. Honestly, like I thought I was being so kind by saying, you're such a good server and I... I really love your hair, and gosh, you're busy today. I'm sorry, that must be hard. Until y'all pointed out that listening to me chat makes it harder. I had no idea what I was doing, and that's because my orientation of time is whatever's right in front of me. This balancing thing is really, really important and really tricky. Thank you so much. I, I think everything they shared today is incredible. I feel like that will be the feedback as well. I hope so. I hope it's helpful. I, um, I said some things today I've never said, and it's because somebody asked the right question. So I'm thankful for that. That's all I wanted to do.